Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Two Writing Teachers podcast. My name is Stacey Schubitz. I'm here with my colleagues and co-hosts, Melanie Meehan and Amy Ellerman. Two Writing Teachers is a meeting place for a world of reflective writers. And here on the podcast, we're excited to talk about ways to create, lead, and sustain joyful and productive writing workshops. Let's work together, inspiring and empowering students to be competent, brave, and confident writers. Did you know that you can subscribe to our podcast at a variety of audio streaming services? You can find us on nearly every podcasting platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you like what you've been hearing from the Two Writing Teachers podcast, then we would appreciate it if you take a few minutes to leave us a rating or review wherever you consume our podcast. After you leave a review on the podcasting platform of your choice, let us know by filling out the Google form that's linked in the show notes. If you do, you may be the lucky winner of a free professional book of your choice from Corwin Press. Many thanks to Corwin for sponsoring this giveaway. And now back to today's episode. Welcome back to the Two Writing Teachers podcast. I am really excited for what we are bringing you today, and it's a bonus episode. So occasionally, Amy, Melanie, or I will host a short chat with one of our Two Writing Teachers colleagues to highlight a post that they recently wrote um, and to just bring their expertise to you in a different way. So today I'm here with one of our contributing writers, Shonda Fukano. She is a primary literacy coach at Mountain View Elementary. It's a dual language school in Seattle, Washington. She supports teachers and students in both English and Spanish classrooms as they develop by literacy. She's been a teacher for first, second, and third grade newcomers and has also been the dual language coordinator when her school was transitioning to a dual language program. She is also a nationally board certified teacher in English as a new language and as if that wasn't enough. She is an OCDE Project GLAD trainer. So welcome, Shonda. Thank you. I'm so glad that you're here today. I'm glad we can make the time zone thing work um, because we have three hours separating us. So yay. I'm so excited (laughs) to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Well, let's talk about the post that you wrote in August. Um, It was called Chance for Writing, Support routines, conventions, and craft. And it felt to me like that was like a session title I wanted to attend to the national conference just when I saw that. So I was like very excited for this post. And your post received thousands of page views and was shared repeatedly on social media. Um, It feels like every August we have like one post that goes crazy with stats. And that was yours. So um, clearly the spike in traffic reflects the fact that people want to know more about this. And um, I want to really highlight that post today and just talk a little bit about your expertise with multilingual learners on the podcast. And, you know, here we are. So let's get started. Um, I want to start with um, chatting about your post. Tell our listeners, some of whom may not have read it yet, more about chance and how they're beneficial to not just multilingual learners, but to all young writers. Yes. So chance is something that when I first started learning about GLAD, uh, it was the first thing that I took away from that training. And so it was something that 
I found I could implement right away. And I think that's always powerful when you learn about something and you're able to put it into your practice right away without too much support um, instead of leaving the conference with that. Oh, I'm going to do that someday and never getting to it. Mm -hmm. So I've used chance almost since day one, especially teaching newcomers uh, being because it's been such a powerful teaching tool. And what I've learned through GLAD about why it's so powerful is that our brains are really pattern-seeking devices. We latch on to patterns. And so mm-hmm. when we have a chant, whether it's got a rhythm or it's to a certain tune, it just makes the content and the language easier for us to learn. Uh, it's kind of like if you think about uh, if you've ever tried to learn another language and you probably sang some sort of song in that language, that's yes. probably one of the few things you remember 10 years later out of high school now that you've never, you know, never actually used that language again. You're so right. I can remember that. I took French starting in third grade and I'm thinking of several songs, none of which I'm going to sing for you right now because (laughs) I don't want to hurt your ears. Um, But uh, you're right. I I never thought about it like that. So, Mm -hmm. okay, keep going. It's it's the same concept as like that jingle from the advertisement getting stuck in our head Mm -hmm. or that catchy, you know, we don't talk about Bruno singing it over and over and over. Yes. Um, those, yes. I those know tunes, that our brain just latches onto <laughs> that. Yes. Don't we all? Yes. And um, our, our brain just latches onto that and it just makes it so much uh, more easy for our students to recall mm-hmm. or um, bring that information back up. So I also love to sing in general. So it, it was just something that I've always um, used and been able to implement, but I didn't implement it in writing right away. So what I found was that when we're reading chants, uh, you do it over and over and over again. So students are getting those repeated exposures to the content and the language. Mm-hmm. And also um, through that, they're building oral language fluency and they're building reading fluency and automaticity. And then that's true for all students who we're using chants with. But then when you think specifically about multilingual learners, Uh, chants provide a really safe environment for them to practice language. Uh, So if you think back to those language classes, you know, to your French classes, when if you're asked a question and put on the spot um, and you have to answer it by yourself, it's a little nerve wracking. Um, And depending on your student's personality, it can be really nerve wracking and really cause students to shut down. Um, And if you're a really emergent language learner, you just might not be comfortable or ready to produce that language on your own. Mm -hmm. So a chant, because everyone's doing it together, no one's voice is singled out. It's a safe way for students to try out the language as much as they can and and not have to worry about someone listening specifically into how they're saying it. That's so so amazing. It's so amazing because there are so, there's so many kids who are so Um, self-conscious. So I think that, you know, doing it as a group is phenomenal. Right. So I remember um, on several occasions having students who were brand new to school, brand new to the country, uh, didn't, hadn't really spoken any English yet, but during a chant, they would pipe up with one or two words, or they would even just babble. And kind of like a toddler or a baby does, just mimicking and making as much of that sound as they can. And so it's really just a great place for them to play with with that language. Um, And then it's also a great way to teach vocabulary, because if you pair that language with some sort of visuals, some pictures or sketches, or if you uh, do a gesture with it to show what that word means and intentionally teach into the words in Mm -hmm. that chant, um, then you're expanding vocabulary there for language learners, but also for for non-language learners as well. Fabulous. 
Yeah. And so, like I said, in the beginning, I didn't use it really for writing. I, I used it more to teach like about science or teach about social studies. But over the years, I, found, I was like, this is good for anything. Why am I not doing this in writing as well? And so I think that's when I started thinking about different different types of chants I could use in writing. It's, it's amazing. It, you just made me think, and I'm not going to go off on a huge long tangent, but um, my daughter had major speech delays and we went through music therapy when she was like mm-hmm. two till I want to say four and a half years old. And that actually was what got her speaking. Mm-hmm. And as where, I mean, she had a severe thing called childhood apraxia of speech and it was mm-hmm. really hard for her. And all of a sudden when we brought the music therapist in with the speech therapist, amazing things happened. And there was a guitar and she, she, she just started speaking. And of course there were approximations mm-hmm. and it just, it clicked in my head and reminded me of that, that, you know, music is really powerful. And I think that using it in the classroom is incredible. Using it with kids one-on-one as little toddlers is incredible mm-hmm. too. So, um, so let's it's get also just fun and engaging, mm-hmm. right? Like it just makes a happy room, a happy environment. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I recalled struggling with my son to get his socks and shoes on and I made up a socks and shoes, socks <laughs> and shoes. You got to put them on. I mean, it went on and on. Um, and yeah, same. I do the same. My kids getting him out the door and I pretend to be the dog singing, let's go, let's go. Why are you so <laughs> slow? <laughs> so. That's awesome. So, you know, yeah, music just, I mean, it, it kind of adds some levity to it. I mean, my son now will sing it if he's being bratty and not wanting to put on his shoes. And, you know, I'm hoping your kids are going <laughs> to sing that yep. to one another. So can you give me some examples and give our listeners some examples of chants that fall into the three categories you wrote about routines, conventions, and craft? Yes. Uh, And I want to start by saying also that chants aren't only for our primary grades. We use chants like at all grades in elementary school. Um, We use chants in middle school in our GLAD units. We use chants in middle school and in high school. A lot of times we'll engage the middle schoolers and the high schoolers in writing them themselves. And mm. we're not going to sing one to the tune of I'm a little teapot, but no, it is a strategy and tool that can be leveraged uh, at all grade levels. That's an important thing to bring out. And I'm really yeah. glad that you said that because if we use it across grade levels, it takes the, um, and, and just make age appropriate mm-hmm. songs. And-, and it's also a lot about how it's presented by the teacher. So if, you know, I've seen a sixth grade teacher who stood up and be like, all right, we got to do this chant. And you could totally tell the teacher was not into the chant because they were really nervous and didn't think their kids were going to like it. Um, and their kids didn't like it. But then I've also seen sixth grade teachers stand up and be like, we're going to do this awesome chant today. And they were totally into it. And the kids were too. So it's all about it the enthusiasm about, yep, and the joy you that it. you bring to anything. It's right. It's the how you sell it. Okay. Yeah. So give me some examples, please. Okay, so for routines, this like, especially at the beginning of the year, we were doing a lot of and so um, when any little thing that like you find yourself reminding kids over and over and over about, you could just set it to a song, kind of like we were talking about putting on your shoes and socks. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. So in when I wrote the post on the chance, there's some examples of things like putting your name on the on your paper or uh, how we come to the carpet. And there's one format called a you bet or some people will do like, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. I prefer you bet. And uh, I'm going to give a little bit 
I'm going to chant a little bit of the mini lesson you bet. And what's easy about this one is it doesn't have to rhyme. And so they're really easy to write and to customize for your situation. And it's kind of, it's a, the the teachers ask a question and then the students respond with the answer. So for the mini lesson you bet, which is um, in one of the slideshows in the post that I wrote, it goes, teacher would say, is it time for the mini lesson? And then the students respond, you bet. Is it time for the mini lesson? You bet. What do you need? My writer's notebook. What do you need? A pencil too. Where will we sit? On the carpet. Where will we sit? With our partner. And then you can add as many stanzas or um, things that you want, depending on what you want to teach into that routine or make, keep it as short as you want. If it's a really short routine that you need to teach into. I love that. It's, it's such a simple one to write. You are right. totally correct. It doesn't have to rhyme in that move. That's what brings the simplicity forth. Love it. Right. And, and so that format is great because anyone can do it and you can cut and the customizing I think is the piece I like the best about it agreed so you can do that with any sort anything routine how to line up come to the carpet um, anything you're teaching now at the beginning of the year is great for the routines and right after vacations right after when you, everyone forgets right. every routine then you just pull out all those chants that they already exactly. know instead of the you know sit and listen to me say this over and over again Exactly. Exactly. Um, so then conventions again can happen. I think of conventions as two different things. One, you can use a conventions chant to remind students about what they should have learned in the past. And you could also use a chant to teach about something new. So in the primary grades, we use chants uh, like the one that I put into the, uh, the video that's in the post and about writing a sentence and starting with a capital. So in the intermediate grades, we use chants more to teach about the more complex uh, conventions that they might be learning about. So for example, the logistics around or the conventions around a paragraph and remembering to indent your paragraph or about the different uses Mm -hmm. of a comma. And so those those are more teaching chants reminder. versus maybe reminder chants that students could be using. That's so great. Um, what about those craft chants? Mm-hmm. Yes. So craft chants are the ones that are more specific to the writing that you're doing. And they are, they are, related to a craft move or specific strategy or to a genre that you're writing about. And again, can help remind students, but also in the beginning are, can be a teaching uh, vehicle. So they might relate to a specific move that you're teaching students to make, like um, things about using transition words or or, uh, sequencing things. Or they might relate to a big bucket of writing, like opinion writing. So one that uh, one of my colleagues wrote is an opinion essay chant. She wrote it for her fourth graders, and it's to the tune of the Marine Cadence. And again, the words to this are in the chant, are in the post if you go to the post. But I'll just sing the first few. Those will be linked in the show notes for those of you who are listening, so you can. After you're finished listening, you can just click over to the show notes and uh, find that post. Perfect. So she starts it out by going, 
We just know what we've been told. Opinion writing is very bold. Writers tell all that is known, convincing readers with their tone. Sound off. People should sound off. Experts say sound off. One, two, three, four. You must. And so what I think is so genius about that is not only is she helping her students internalize what is an opinion piece, but she's also giving them words to use in their opinion piece. So during the sound off part, when she lists people say, experts say, you must, those are things that students can use in their opinion essay to convince their readers with their tone. I noticed that as soon as I was listening to that, I was like, oh, this is a reminder of language or sentence Mm -hmm. stems to get them started. The students are then repeating and using and just building into their, their repertoire. Amazing. Cool. Very cool. So let's shift right now and just talk specifically about multilingual learners. So what are your three? I'm going to limit you to three. Um, what are your three best tips to help multilingual yeah. learners in writing <laughs> workshop? Because I'm sure you have tons that you can do, but you know, as much as this is a bonus episode, we want to make sure that uh, people aren't <laughs> listening for an hour unless they want to, then they can check out one of the other ones, but um, give us your three best. So the first thing that I always want teachers and myself to keep in mind when our multilingual learners are writing is that our those students really need to have background knowledge and experience about what they're writing about. They need to be familiar with the topic because the language is new and they're still learning the language. And if they're trying to do the language piece on top of figuring out a content topic that they don't know of, it just really makes the cognitive load so much higher and takes away from the process of writing. And so writing about common experiences or shared experiences can be really powerful both on the teacher side when we're choosing what we model in our mini lessons. If we can choose topics about things that happened and we experienced with our class or things that we studied and we know that all the students have that background knowledge of, it's going to make it a lot easier for our multilingual learners to understand and follow along in that example. And then when they're choosing topics, if they can't have the option of choosing a shared experience, like maybe for um, writing about something that happened at school or something that your class did together, uh, or writing something that means something personally to them versus a more abstract idea, they're going to do a lot better because they'll have most likely have the language, more of the language to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And along those same lines, providing students with a word bank. So if you know that this student is writing about a trip to the beach and they're a student that is really in the emergent language stages, providing them with a a post-it note that has some key vocabulary, then it will help them because then instead of trying to think, what is that word of I'm looking for? They can just look at their list and be like, oh yeah, shell. I want to talk about a shell right now. And so just sticking a, a sticky note with some keywords for them can be really helpful. And then also let them use their native language. Uh, translanguaging is a big uh, new idea in, in the research of multilingual learners. And we know that we, instead of just using our English brain or our Spanish brain or our Vietnamese brain, uh, language is all intertwined. And so it's okay for students to write in their native language. I remember the first time I had a student who was told that by me. It was fifth grader. And I was talking, teaching him about code switching. And he was mm-hmm. like, well, am I allowed to do that? And I was like, S- 
sweetie, like you're writing about an experience with your family, right? He said, Mm -hmm. yeah. He said, I want you to use the real words that you said. And here, let me show you a mentor text. And I'm going to teach you how to do this in a way that's going to help me as a non-Spanish speaker understand what that was. And he's Mm -hmm. like, wow. And I mean, I was sad that it took till fifth grade for him to get permission to do that. But I mean, at least he got permission in fifth grade and knows that that's okay going forward. So when we can validate that for kids very early on, it's Mm -hmm. incredibly powerful and incredibly necessary. And what a huge piece of like feeling like your identity and who you are belongs in school, that you don't have to leave that at home when you come to school. But that, that's a part of you and we value that. It, it Yes, it's a part of you and we value that. And um, I remember my daughter did something last year. She wrote some type of information piece and then on, or no, it was two years ago in fourth grade. And at the end, she closed it with Mazel Tov, you, and then whatever it was. And I said, why did you do that? She goes, well, like you and Zadie, that's my father, always talk like that. And it just <laughs> felt like a good way to end. And I was like, wow. <laughs> and yeah. I said, like, I hope your teacher goes for it. And she did. She was great. That's she great. totally allowed it and what have you. And, um, you know, I think we, we can't ask kids to check themselves at the, at the school exactly. door. They need to bring their whole self, their whole selves yes. to, to school. Mm-hmm. Yep. Agreed. Okay. This, Second tip I have is oral rehearsal. And this is something we do a lot in the primary grades. Naturally, we have students tell us, you know, tell me on your fingers what's going to happen first, what's going to happen second, or what's your first reason, your second reason, your third reason. But it's so important that all language learners, no matter what their age, have time to process and think before they write and practice what they want to say orally. Uh, there's four language domains, listening, speaking, reading, and writing, and writing is the most complex. It develops the slowest and latest Mm -hmm. of all of them as far as becoming like at a native fluency. And that's because so much goes into writing. You have to, you have to process, you know, what you want to say and figure out the right words, the right grammar, the right conventions to get it onto the paper. And so providing students with that opportunity beforehand to, will just increase the quality of their writing. Uh, it can also really help if you have a student who has a partner that maybe speaks the same language that they could process in their native language yep. first and think about what they want to write and then work to how would we say that in English. And another thing about oral rehearsal is it allows either the teacher or a peer to help either recast language that maybe they didn't say quite correctly or enhance that language. So. Maybe I had a student who was drawing a picture and they told me I go beach and I could help them. And I could say, oh, you want to write, I go to the beach mm-hmm. and just help them in that way to enhance what they're saying. I love that. Okay. Give us your last one. Okay. The last one <laughs> is drawing and sketching. And uh, again, sketching, one thing we say in GLAD is sketching's for the brain. So mm-hmm. all students and adults, sketching helps because it just helps us helps our brain um, process things. And so in the primary grades, right, we do this. We have students draw a picture of what they're going to write first. They make some labels and then they start writing. So we can do this also in the older grades, but not on primary type paper. So I'll have my intermediate students in their notebook use that fat white space at the top Mm -hmm. of their page to make a sketch of what their idea is. And then I can 
help them add a word bank there even like once they have the sketch we can add some labels or we can put some keywords into that sketch that then allows them to write more fluently about it later even like a sticky note um can be put there and of course because you don't want it to feel right babyish. you want it to just feel natural right and there are some kids who i think would still appreciate having different paper choices even in the upper mm-hmm. grades right. um but that box can just be a little smaller Right. And I think another great thing is since graphic novels are so widely read and accepted, I remember a long time ago, it was like, boy, does that really count as reading a book or not? But now mm-hmm. we know graphic novels are amazing and they're also amazing yes. in writing. Students can write through the graphic novel format. And so mm-hmm. it requires them to, for our language learners, they don't need quite as much language to tell a story or to express their opinion or their information. Shonda, you have given us so many fantastic tips today. And I mean, I feel like teachers can try these things out as soon as tomorrow. Um, Unless, of course, it's Friday evening. You're not trying it out the next day. Um, So thank you so much for joining me today for our first bonus episode. And um, tell our listeners where they can find you online. All right. Well, you can find me Uh, blogging at shondastories.wordpress.com where I write about my life at school and at home with my children and husband. (laughs) Also on Twitter at Shonda Fucano or of course on twowritingteachers.org. Wonderful. Thank you again for bringing your expertise to us today and for sharing your knowledge. Thank you. It was amazing to be here. Thank you for listening to the Two Writing Teachers podcast. Check out the show notes for links to the items we mentioned in this episode, as well as ways to connect with us. For more about the teaching of writing, head over to the Two Writing Teachers blog at twowritingteachers.org. If you liked what you heard today, please share it with your friends and colleagues, post about it on social media, like, subscribe, and leave us ratings and reviews. Our music is by Lemon Music Studio. If you'd like to connect with us, email us at contact at twowritingteachers.org. Thanks again for listening. Let's teach, learn, and write on together.